morning, everyone, and welcome to the Health Hub. I'm Kathy Biasa, your host, and along with our producer, Alex Diaz, and our production assistant, Daniel Tersini, we would like to welcome you to our show this morning. Good morning, everybody. Good morning, guys. How are you? Good morning, Kathy. Good morning, Kathy. Anything interesting happen over the week? I'm tired of talking about the weather all the time, so any new topics that we can bring in before I start? Over the week, let's see. Over the um, week. You started driving. Well, driving lessons. Well, actually, I'm still working on that. I need to get in touch with my uh, driving instructor. Mm-hmm. What was interesting, actually, I hadn't been able to get a hold of him over the weekend, so I spent my part of my journey here on the bus uh, <laughs> texting him, and as a result, I uh, took a bit of an extra walk because I missed my stop. <laughs> so um, that was good. And the only reason why I'm able to uh, laugh about it is because I actually had a coffee this morning, and usually... usually um, I'm getting, it changes your mood, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, apparently so. So It's the small things. That's what we're going to be talking about today. The small things can make a big difference. Exactly. So you've turned that frown upside down with your cup of coffee. Right. For sure. It, it's, it, you know, it, 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 when you told me the story, it made me laugh because it's just, it's, it seems like something that, that you might do. Head down, not paying attention, look up, and you're all disoriented. For sure. <laughs> uh, well, at least it's a nice day. Yes. Actually, I, I wore my uh, jeans and running shoes and a sweater, and yeah. I didn't find out till I was pulling in here that it's supposed to go up like 30 degrees, so yeah. uh, it's a tough time of year to, to walk out. It was freezing this morning. So anyways, back to the weather talk. But <laughs> today's show is live. Our number is 416-245-1534. If you would like to call in and talk to Laura Calder, this is going to be a fun show. Um, I'll, I'll get into that in a minute. I used to watch Laura on TV, and uh, oh, I'll get to that after I do all this blurb. Please follow us on our social sites. We are on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. We are at the Health Hub RMC. And uh, email us at thh at radiomaria.ca if you would like information on any aspect of the show, guests, uh, show topics, or otherwise. And as you know, all of our shows, whether they are live or taped, are turned into a podcast. And we are the Health Hub. We are on iTunes, SoundCloud, all your favorite podcast platforms. And if you do like what you hear, here, you know, we're very happy to uh, receive your positive feedback. It helps uh, promote our show. And more importantly, it helps promote uh, our guests and their initiatives. And uh, we only have the best of the best on the show and uh, do try and, and do the best we can to help promote what they are trying to change in the world in such a positive, positive manner. So we are talking to Laura Calder today. I did um, I did watch her, her French cooking show often when it was uh, on TV. And it's funny because I, I picked up uh, her book in one of my favorite health foods, health food stores, cafeterias, uh, delis, whatever you want to call it. Probably not deli. That's probably the wrong word for health food. But um, and I picked it up and I saw the title and I saw the author, but I didn't equate that it was the same person because it's a bit of a departure from uh, what I know Laura doing. Mm-hmm. But um, anyways, that's how this show came about. But I thought, you know, what am I going to talk about beforehand? Maybe just to try and uh, tie in a little bit of, you know, this blurb before our show, before we actually uh, get to our guests. And um, out of the blue came something that I was reading. It was talking about crossing your legs. So I started reading about it and uh, some of the detrimental uh, effects that can happen when you cross your legs habitually or for a long period of time. And, you know, many women were brought up with the notion that a lady keeps her legs crossed and that's, you know, proper posture and all of that is very important and it is. But crossing your legs habitually, uh, men, a lot of men do it too. So although maybe women were brought up with the notion that this was proper etiquette, a lot of men do cross their legs. It can be a comfortable position and it can be a space saver. You know, right. if, if you're sitting beside somebody and you're crossing your legs, uh, it can be it can be so much of a, a, a space saver. I'm thinking of airplanes so that'll be going on shortly. Um, but whether a habit or even on uh, buses on the TTC, even depending. on buses, when you're crammed yeah. in there, you know, just to kind of wrap yourself within yourself is save some space and right. and it is comforting. You know, having I, I find it a comfortable position. Um, 
but uh, trying to avoid doing it because of the following reasons that I'll talk to you about. Um, and research has shown that when you cross your legs, uh, and this we're talking about for a long period of time. We're not talking about a couple of minutes, or but we're talking about doing this habitually for a long period of time. Uh, when you cross your legs, you put pressure on the perineal nerve. And this nerve is located behind the knee, and it supplies um, sensation to your feet. So... Uh, when this nerve maybe is compressed too much, you might get the, start getting that feeling of um, uh, pins and needles, numbness, you know, yeah, numbness, yeah. Uh, which is a sign that you might want to uncross your legs. Because right. compression on a nerve is not a good thing. Yeah. So uh, uncrossing your legs um, is a good idea. Yeah. Again, we're trying to maybe move beyond this habit of crossing your legs. It's It's so natural for some, but... That is a sign that, you know, uncross your legs, feet on the floor. Research yeah. has also found that um, blood pressure increases when your legs are crossed. Hmm. And this is at the knee. We're not talking, I should make that very clear. I'm not talking about the ankles. We're talking about crossing at the knee. Um, reason being is you temporarily compress the blood ve- the blood vessels uh, in your in your legs. And this impacts your circulatory system. So think right. about it. Our heart is pumping blood trying to get it to all aspects of our body. And when you cross your legs, you're compressing that area. So your heart is having to pump harder to get the blood to to your feet, the bottom of your legs. And this um, can increase your blood pressure. It's alleviated by uncrossing your legs, obviously. Um, Pelvic imbalance. So getting more towards posture. This may be where you might find a little bit more of a, a prolonged impact. When you're continually uh, crossing your legs, it eventually makes the inner thigh muscles shorter than the outer thigh muscles. And this can impact your joints, your posture, and may even lead to some back pain. So I found that one was uh, quite interesting. Um And, you know, when you start to think of these things, when you really start to, you know, that does make sense, that does make sense. Uh, Again, not crossing your legs at the knee. When I was younger, I used to cross my leg at the knee and wrap my ankle, wrap my foot right around my ankle. So I was like a a pretzel. Um, Was that comfortable for you? It was comfortable. I just, uh, I'd like to hook my foot behind the bottom part of my my leg, you know, and uh, I found that very comfortable. Um, I don't do that too much anymore because probably... Quite honestly, my legs aren't as thin as they used to be. So uh, I don't do that anymore, but I do cross my legs and I do lean over and that's not good for the posture. Mm-hmm. Uh, the one that I knew about, um, because when I get my hair cut, the hairdresser says, uncross your legs. So when you cross your legs, you tend to lean to one side or another. Well, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And so when the hairdresser is trying to give you an even cut and you're sort of tilted, it can lead to a bad haircut. So uh, if none other none of the other things are, are of issue to you, um, perhaps we can just uh, look to the aesthetics of it all. So uncrossing your legs where you're getting a haircut is important. It's hard to break the habit, um, but just, you know, feeding these thoughts to you, you may have, uh, you know, next time you cross your legs, you may think twice. And again, we're talking about prolonged leg crossing, like sitting at your desk all day with your legs crossed. And um, to alleviate this, cross your, your feet at your ankles. If uh, that hasn't shown, research hasn't shown that I have found any any issues that, that can be um, that can be harmful. Mm-hmm. So there you go. So I thought that I would introduce that to you before we start talking about Laura and her book. And uh, I'm sure etiquette will definitely come into our conversation. Laura Calder is a trusted and established expert in the food and entertaining industry. Um, she perhaps is best known for her James Beard award-winning series, French Food at Home, which debuted on the Food Network and continued to air worldwide. Laura more recently authored The Inviting Life, an inspirational guide to homemaking, hosting, and opening the door to happiness. She has also written four food cookbooks, judged two seasons of Recipes to Riches, hosted a number of television specials, and appeared as a guest judge on Iron Chef America and Top Chef Canada. Laura holds undergraduate degrees in liberal arts and linguistics, a master's in social and organizational psychology from the London School of Economics, and a postgraduate certificate in cross-cultural studies. In 2011, she was named a Knight of the Order of Agricultural Merit by the French government, one of the country's highest civilian honors. 
After a decade in France, Laura now lives in Toronto, where she was named the 2019 Adweek Toronto Brand Star. She is married to author and journalist Peter Scowen. Our learning points today, among many, uh, what is an inviting life according to Laura? Why is it important to make a welcome home? And why are the little things so important? And we will be back to talk to Laura after our quick break. Hey, you in the corner shaking in those boots. You know what I do. You got the shaking vibe, but the feel won't do. We always say that we have unspeakable joy. Listening to Radio Maria Canada. We now continue with the program, The Health Hub, hosted by Kathy Biasi. Welcome back, everybody. Our show is live. You can call in at 416 245 1534 and do follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. We are at The Health Hub RMC. Laura, good morning. Welcome to our show. Good morning. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. Uh, I'm very interested um, in what you do because it is like the polar opposite of the way I live my life, I think. Um, you, <laughs> you embellish things that I think a lot of us take for granted. And I think what your book has done is really stripped away any excuses for us not to pay attention to the small things about where we need to refocus. But before we get into the wonderful book, I, I have a question. Is this book a departure from your cooking career? The Inviting Life was a departure, not a departure, uh, an enlargement maybe, because I think food after a while, for me, without context, was starting to lose its meaning. Um, of course, there's lots of meaning in food, but it 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 started to expand. I was going to write a book about uh, dinner parties, actually. And as soon as I started doing it, it just exploded because I realized not only food has to be seen in context, but hosting has to be seen in context. And then I realized it's all about how we live our lives in general, whether there's anyone around or not. <laughs> 
Well, it's it's funny because uh, you and I talked uh, actually at length uh, about your book. I found it so interesting. As I said, I, I found it at uh, one of my favorite stores up in Collingwood. Um, let's start bigger picture and make our way into it. What do you consider to be the inviting life? Well, um, I like the title. But <laughs> the book really, is cute, too. It's cute. It's, it's two things. So on the one hand, an inviting life is about bringing people together and establishing connections, sending people away better than you found them, making time for that, a social life, really. But on the other hand, it's about taking every opportunity to make daily life more inviting than it is inherently, which could be, you know, there's so many chances we have to uplift and so many times when we don't bother. So I think it's at home, maybe it's about making, doing the laundry is not inherently fun. So how do you make that into something that feeds your soul and doesn't drain it? Or it could be something like you're in the street and you, you decide, okay, I'm going to stand up taller and put a better expression on my face. You're making the street more inviting for everyone. You, we have an impact with every little thing we do. So I think it's taking those opportunities. That makes life and the world more inviting for everybody. Now, is this the way you live your life? Or as you're writing this, this is snowballing and you're becoming more aware, more enlightened? You know how these projects sort of take on a life of their own? Um, well, this book made me, I do live my life like this. And it's a discipline to do it because, you know, let's face it, we don't all, we're not always in a great mood. We don't feel all the time like having a nice expression on our face or mm-hmm. like standing up taller, like um, bothering to make things nice. But I really make it a discipline because it's so good. Well, it's, it's for my psychology, but it's, it's for everybody's psychology. It's good for your mental health. It's one of the reasons why, um, you know, I host uh, people for dinner a lot. But if no one's here, I still set the table the same way. Because it's good. I'm giving myself a message every time I eat about what I think of myself, about, you know, how I'm, how I'm going to live in general. So I, I really think it's important, much bigger than we, we, we give credit to these small things for. And, you know, uh, there's so many things that always pop into my head when we have such a a creative thinker on the show. And I, you know, I want to go in a direction more personally. And I think, no, no, let's 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 peel to the masses. Okay, let's start with this discipline piece of it. Now, to me, it's like you want to be living in the now. Uh, You're taking the moment and you want to make each moment. um, This is what you're saying to me. You want to make each moment meaningful. How do you start this discipline? I, I think it starts with, uh, well, it's partly about being alert. And we don't live in an era of too much alertness, if you ask me. I mean, you walk in the street and everyone is looking down. So how do you see opportunities to do anything if you're just staring at that wretched little phone? I won't even take it out on the street, actually. Mm-hmm. That, there's one piece of discipline right there. Mm-hmm. People look terrible walking with their phones. So I noticed this and said, okay, I'm not taking my phone out in public. It, or if I have to make a call, I'm going to go stand somewhere and do it deliberately. But I'm not going to walk along the street holding it. That, setting the table at night and sitting down. Uh, I don't know, folding something well instead of just chucking it in a drawer. Those, the, the tiny, tiny things are very empowering because you see a problem or a mess, or whatever it is, and you can fix it. You don't have to sit around waiting for some perceived bigger person to do it. It's, it's leadership. Hmm. It seems small, but it's leadership and it's empowerment, which, and our power is constantly being uh, taken away from us by people, and this is, these are small ways to hang on to it and give those messages to your brain. It's, you're fighting against a, a stream that has run completely in the opposite direction, it seems to me. We're in a time where there's bad news a lot, I guess, because we can hear it. There's so yeah. many social avenues that we can hear negative things. Um, people don't seem to have the time or the inclination. And a lot of life to me is expedient. Are, do you feel that you're making an impact or where do you want to start? You know, I don't know if I'm making an impact. Sometimes I've had friends say, listen, you're talking to a wall. Nobody cares. And that may be true, but I'm still going to talk to the wall because I, I see, to me, it's what makes existence tolerable. 
life is not easy. There's enough negativity coming out at us. There's enough stress. There's enough. Someone has to make things nicer. I mean, we just we'd crash if we didn't have this stuff. And yes, it's a battle. And and I think sometimes I try to make, you know, we're all we're all part of the negative force too. I mean, you go read the comments on the Globe and Mail article, and you cannot believe that intelligent so-called civilized Canadians are writing this stuff. Mm-hmm. It's it's barbaric. Oh, it's it's terrible. Um, the way people behave when they're behind the dark windows of their cars. All these nice Canadians being terrible on the streets. So. We're all kind of <laughs> to blame. We can all fix ourselves up a bit. Does, in, in full, full disclosure for yourself, does trying to live this life sometimes make you want to hit your head against a wall? Yep, it does. But I do it anyway. Mm-hmm. Because some, you, just, you, can't, you can't just join. I think it, it's trying to raise things up because people are constantly trying to drag things down. And it doesn't make it good for anyone, and it doesn't make it good for you. So you, you have to, I, I try to uplift wherever I can. And this goes beyond your kitchen table, right? Because, you know, I can't remember the last time other than, you know, Thanksgiving, Christmas, where I have had um, a dinner party. Um, and, and honestly, it's because I get overwhelmed with what to cook, you know, how to set the table, but you're not just talking about, it. let's step back a bit. When you talk about hosting people and that you do it frequently, are we talking, you know, the table set to perfection, uh, meal plans or meal planning and, and where people are sitting? Are we going to those extremes or is it a more just coming together and letting the evening uh, flow in the direction that it's going? Well, the two pieces to where I think you're going with that but one one is that hospitality in general having people getting people together especially around the table is very important and I think especially now because we are living in such hostile anti-social violent times and you don't bring violence and hostility to a table if you do you get kicked out mm-hmm. you just that is a place of peace if you're going to come to the table and that's even an expression in terms of you know board meetings or politics you come to the table, you're going to sit down, and you're going to make an effort to get along with people. We need more of that. So in terms of dinner parties, I, I and when I say dinner parties, I mean you get a party of people, mm-hmm. and they sit around your table and eat. And do I, of course I set the table. I do, as I said, I do it every night. Is there a plan? Well, there has to be, or I wouldn't have the food there to do it. But it doesn't have to be, it's not about the food, and it's not about the table. It's about the people. So once your focus is there, it doesn't become so stressful. You know, you can boil a pot of pasta and throw a salad on the table. But I do, I think you should do it with care because that's all about lifting things up. I don't know why people make it seem like that is complicated. The food industry doesn't want us to cook because they depend on our dependability to make money. So they always want to tell us that it's complicated and it's stressful and it's this and it's that. Nobody ever mentions how calming and nourishing it is and how, how good for your soul it is. How do we how do we make it that way though? You know, we're we're all, a lot of people are working long hours. They come home to kids, and truth be told, sometimes I just want to sit in front of the TV and and watch something that's that's just gonna you know babysit me. How do we get into that mode where hosting becomes easy? It becomes relaxing and something to look forward to because I need help in that area. Well, I think if you if you I mean I. As I said, it's my life. I cook and I eat. So if I, this has happened before, where I'm about to sit down for dinner and the doorbell rings and someone comes in. And I'm, I just say, okay, well, <laughs> pull up a chair because it's, it's, it's there. Mm-hmm. In fact, today is the anniversary of the day I met my husband. And last year at this exact time, the doorbell rang when we were about to sit down and have this anniversary dinner with someone whose anniversary it was and who'd lost her husband. So we ended up all having our anniversary dinner together. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was wonderful. Um, anyway, it's, it's, I think if it's a practice that you, you do every day, if you cook every day anyway, it's not going to be more difficult if someone shows up. It's just, it's dinner. You might make a little extra effort, but not, it's not a big divide. Well, just before uh, we have to head to break then, just before we get off of this topic of, of, of hosting, uh, what are the first steps, you know, if someone is listening now and saying, you know what, I, 
I think that this is great because we've lost that sense of community. We really have. And maybe that's the most intimidating part of hosting. People are lonely. Yes. People are lonely. They're just, they just want to be with people. It's, it, literacy rates go up. People get better grades when they eat in good company. People live longer. Obesity goes down. Depression goes down. There's so many wonderful reasons beyond, you know, calories and vitamins. But, you know, we've talked about this in so many other contexts. I think that with you bringing it right here into our home where we can't ignore it, where it's something that we can actually do, we've lost that sense of community. We really have. And, you know, for as much as we try and make these habits, I try and have Sunday dinner uh, every Mm -hmm. Sunday. Every once in a while, things push that out the door. But then I think, you know what, because we're letting it you know, if, yeah. if and, and I think we have to sort of change our focus. What what I want to do when we get back from our break is really delve into this book, because I think once you take us sort of step by step through the main throngs of the book, we're going to be able to see how we can change our perspective, um, because hosting and having people in our home can be a scary thing for a lot of people. They don't know what to do with it. So we'll be back in a couple of minutes. Canada, a Catholic voice wherever you are. To contact us and be a part of the show, please call 416-245-1534. 
We now continue with the program. Here once again is your host, Kathy Biasi. Welcome back, everybody. We're speaking with Laura Calder, author of The Inviting Life, an inspirational guide to homemaking, hosting, and opening the door to happiness. Laura, I've got a lot of questions. I want to go through the book um, sort of section by section, but the, the one section that intrigues me and I would like to talk about, well, maybe going out of order, is keeping uh, a living kitchen. Now, mm-hmm. our homes now are not being designed as much for hosting and for sitting around a table. Uh, Back in the day, there were dining rooms and kitchen areas, and now we see an amalgamation, sometimes even galley kitchens with no table. Is this... Sometimes no kitchens. I'm told that in condos now, they're designing them without really any kitchen at all, like just a little burner, because people eat every meal out. So the possibility of socializing is being designed right out of the buildings. Tragic. It is tragic. It's... Where do we go with this? Well, yeah, I don't know about that. The, the, the kind of places that they design it out of the building, that, that's, I don't, know, I don't know what you do. I think I'd turn another room into a dining room. But I, I, I couldn't live in a place like that. I need, the, to me, the table is central to, to life. Um, lots of people have dining rooms, though, that they just don't use. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they should be brought back to life. You know, they end up being these, it depends on the age of the house, but they, they're, they're rooms that just get um, the sort of show rooms. They yeah. come out at Christmas and then get put away again. I think, I think turn the lights on in there again and see, see how it goes. <laughs> well, what is a living kitchen to you? Well, I think you have to... A ki- kitchens are often very sterile places in, in design, and, and it makes it a place you don't really want to spend time in. So I think... You know how, say you, you go to open a cottage and you, you get there and it's whatever it is, a May weekend. When you open the door and go in, it's got a coldness. There's no energy in there. And it kind of takes a day or so to get it feeling like it's a place where you want to be. And the same is true of a, of a kitchen. If it's not in use, you're not going to want to, you, you sense that energy, whether it's whether it's there or not. So, um I don't know, keeping plants, keeping uh, boiling water, having, having food around that you can see, making it a place that's sensuous and that lures you in there is going to make you want to cook more. And uh, it's going to make other people gravitate there, too. I mean, often kitchens are a place where people go, well, at least historically. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Today, maybe they're a little lonelier. Is dishes in the sink? Is that a living kitchen? Does that count? Oh, hmm. <laughs> and now we're crossing the line to etiquette, right? <laughs> well, that's what I just, I don't like mess yeah. because um, I, I like looking after things. It's like tending to plants. You, you also tend to furniture, you know, you punch pillows into shape and you, you make your bed and you interact with things. I think it's, uh, I'm very into this energy business. I think, I almost don't think of cleaning as cleaning. I think of it as energy shifting. You walk into a room, you see a mess, ugh, you don't feel good. You clean it, ah, you feel good. So mm-hmm. you re- you've done a whole shift also in your own mind. Well, I mean, it starts with making your bed in the morning, I think, and that's a practice that I, I just can't get my own kids to do. Um, but I think that that's important. So when you're coming into that space at night, it feels like you're starting over. Yeah, I think you're giving yourself messages all the time. A big one is, for example, the front door. If it's, a, if it's falling off its hinges or if every time you step in it, you're tripping over shoes, you're saying that's a negative message to yourself about the state of your life and about what you're worth and all that. So I think you really have to think about, um, you know, your rituals every day and what the small the small things are going to give you messages that either reinforce your worth or, or don't. And, and they're in funny places like that, hiding away. You know, can you say that front door thing once more and direct it to my children? Because yeah. I have, I continually, in the front door, dropping stuff. And the all, you know, I, I've... You know, I guess as we change, as we get older, when our own stuff is our own stuff, we take maybe more pride and more care. But I'll say to, to my kids, and um, hopefully they don't get angry at me, but you know what? Just give me the front door. You know, just if someone comes to the front door, give me that space. And they don't get it. Now, I don't it's know if that's space. bad parenting on my part, but it's... I wonder if there's a way to make a system so that we, we want to come in and dump something, but you have a spot. Here is your 
stumping spot, but make it in a way that's well, um, easy to, to slot things somehow. I don't know how old your children are. They're but, uh, old. They're I, old. I no excuse. <laughs> but it's like, it's like uh, I don't know, Snoopy. Like, they'll drop some stuff here. We'll go a few more steps and some stuff there. And, you know, it's it's um, maybe it's bad design, but I have this, this really nice center island in the front door, and boy, things rest on there. But... You, you talk about uh, one part of your book is hugging your house, and maybe explain to everybody what you mean by that along these lines, well, I guess. Hugging your house is a bit of a sort of housekeeping and, you know, tidying up and cleaning things. But as I said, I used to, I, I used to see that as, as chores and also cleaning. Well, everyone sort of looks down on it. Cleaning things like looking after babies and old people seems to be relegated to the, you know, the it's the worst job you could possibly have, people think. But I just find there's so much power in being able to take something that needs fixing and to fix it or to improve something. Because the world is a very, uh, it makes us every day feel like we have no power. How are we going to change? How will we fix the environment? How will we stop this politician from doing X, Y, or Z? How will we solve big problems? Well, those are overwhelming. But you do a small thing and you think, okay, at least... I've got that. <laughs> mm-hmm. And does it take a lifetime of this practice, this discipline? Have you been doing this all of your life, or was there a, a point? I, I'm, no, I mean, <laughs> I was as slobby a 19-year-old as anybody else, I think. But you, I, I now see how uh, the psychological effects of it, and that's why I've become so much more disciplined about it. How you, you know, how you get dressed. And in, in before you go out the door in the morning, you, I mean, you sit on the terrace and watch people go by. Now I sit there and think, wow, people are really messed up because we mirror what's going on inside ourselves by the exterior. And that's why, I mean, obviously these things are not going to cure major mental health problems or they're not going to replace therapy, but they help and they help you get your life together and they improve your image in the world, which improves how people treat you, which improves how successful you are and how happy you are. So it all, there's a big ripple effect Mm -hmm. to these things. You start in your own house, and that's where you can make a difference. Um, And I totally agree. Your house is your second layer of skin. It's you. So it's self-care, really, to look after something in your house. And it's neglect not to. How do we change that notion of coming home after dinner and cooking, cook, or coming home after work and cooking is a chore and cleaning up is a chore? How do we change that notion? Well, I mean, all this business about don't, not having time, for example, you've got to watch the messages you're given by industry because they're giving them to you so they will make money from you. Um, people have a lot of time for Instagram but they don't have time to eat, you know? Mm-hmm. People have a, lots of things are uh, hard, say, going to the gym and working out, but that seems to be promoted, but then eating well isn't. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's, it's, I, 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 I go against, you have to just question what you're being told. This is complicated and no fun, okay? Well, get together with someone and cook and see. Is it complicated? Is it no fun? Or is it fun and sociable and relaxing and... That's how I see it. I mean, I often get things ready before my husband comes home. So I've, I do all the mise en place, if you want. And then he comes in and he ends up frying the meat or doing something. And it's a, it's a, a time that we come together. And, and surely for families, too, there's nothing nicer than hanging out in the kitchen while someone's stirring a sauce or something. Mm-hmm. I, I love it when guests, I, I love it when guests make me sort of reevaluate. Uh, I, I think it's important. I think it's I, nobody lives the perfect life, but I think you know someone like you who's I have to, I have to change uh, some of my thoughts. It's not I mean, about perfect. It's definitely not about perfect. Nobody's perfect. It's just a question of caring, like not just not letting everything fall to pieces, which it's so easy to do. Mm-hmm. But and it, 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 because I think I guess we could become overwhelmed, but. I don't know. It's not dropping the ball. Home life is such a stabilizing force. And I think we're too focused on work, you know, our cars and our whatever jobs, blah, blah, blah. And we forget that home is where that's where we wake up in the morning. That's what we come home to at night. It can't be dropped. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I totally agree. What we're, you know, when we talk about setting the table, we talk about uh, cooking and everything. Um, the Queen's Book of Etiquette is, is out the door. 
uh, how, where, where do you stand on, on etiquette, on properly setting the table? Is that important to you? Sitting up just, straight. Yeah. Yeah, things like yeah, that. That's, that is important to me. That word, unfortunately, has a stigma. There's nothing wrong with the word itself, but it's developed this... I don't know why people think that it has to do with royals and not with everybody, because it's basically about how we interact with each other so we don't kill each other, Yeah, <laughs> you know? And, and uh, um, you were talking earlier about leg crossing. There's a huge literature on body language around that, which is fascinating, um, about how people perceive you or what messages you're giving away and all this stuff. So I think, you know, etiquette about how to shake a hand or how not to insult people saying thank you notes, People don't respond to communications a lot. They ignore emails or they ignore phone calls. It's it's not helping anybody out. It's just it's just um, you know it leads to arguments and misunderstandings and all kinds of things. So etiquette's really about keeping the peace. I think. And, and Who doesn't ag- want that? And, <laughs> and again, it's it's about taking time to to properly learn something to properly execute common courtesy. Um, and again, I've dropped the ball on this many times, you know, uh, being invited over to somebody's house, I have every intention the next day of saying thank you for the invitation. Sometimes I forget. Um, but I remember um, when I did a little bit more hosting when I was younger, um, I would every once in a while get a little note in the mail saying thank you so much. And that made me feel wonderful. I never forget. I pride myself on my thank you notes. Um, I don't, you don't always mail them. Sometimes it's an email if someone, you know, but I always try to think of something specific that I really appreciated or some memory of something someone said. And I, I put that in the thank you, but I, I have a, a book, you know, an agenda, which I write in with a pen. I'm one of those old fashioned types, but I always have it in the next day, write so-and-so. I never forget no, I, I do draw. I do it's have so to important. say, it's one of the first things we learn as children. Did you say thank you for the birthday party? No. Yeah, and you know, it, your mother's always. You're, you're right. It's it's the little things are so important. Um, my dad used to say that. You know, I you, and for whatever I reason, how you feel when someone out of the blue sends you a message or does something thoughtful for you. It's it's so touching. It's 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 uh, it. it improves your relationship with them it it makes you think about makes you grateful it's, it just does so much and it's so easy you talk about it taking time maybe it doesn't take that much time but it takes three minutes to write a thank you note maybe yeah no you're right it's it's an excuse and it's it, not having time is an excuse it's not prioritizing properly that's exactly what it comes down to well it is priorities it, ultimately people have time for what they want to have time for and and I think that a lot of people want to take the chunk in their spend the time in their day taking the big pieces away first, and then whatever time is left over, um, which may be the wrong way to approach a day. Well, I don't know what what are the big things because I have to say the statistics on how much time people spend on social media is, is shocking, and on their phones, mm-hmm. it's hours and hours a day. But what hours is the intention of that time on the phone? That that's the know. thing. Well, maybe it's is it connecting? I, I don't. I haven't. I don't know. I, I assume it's either it's distraction, it's connecting. It's people must be looking for something that they're not getting. But the interesting thing is that the more people look, that they're still not getting it. Otherwise, you would you wouldn't you wouldn't keep looking. So if you put the phone down and actually go meet someone, I mean, one simple way is to say, what, what you know, what am I doing tonight? Who am I eating with? And if the answer is no one, find someone and stick your phone in a pocket and just either say, come over, I'm going to make an omelet, do you want one? Um, or, or let's go around the corner. And, but make it, that's like just a simple way to, to um, make sure that it, you're, you're doing that kind of thing. Call someone who's old and lives alone. There's so many people who live alone and eat alone. And that's, you can do it tonight. Just don't eat alone tonight. <laughs> That's a good place to start. That's the homework. Well, you've got a section of the book called, it's it's about hosting and and, and you're you're encouraging people. This can be a scary thing for some people. Am I doing it right? I'm not such a great cook. What makes the perfect host for you? What would you tell somebody if you were going to give the characteristics of a perfect host? 
What would you well, say? First of all, I would say hosting is not optional. In your life, you will be called upon over and over again to host. Whether you're a six-year-old having a birthday party, you're a boss, you have to have someone's you know, retirement party, maybe you're doing a barbecue for your sports team in school, whatever it is, you're, you're trying to seduce someone, you want them to come over, you're going to host constantly. And I frankly think of hosting uh, even when I'm out in the street. As soon as I'm talking to a teller at the bank, someone's the host, someone's a guest, it's an interaction, you get these these roles. As for hosting at home, it's the person who's um, who, who knows how to make you feel good about yourself and who brings you into their house in whatever way and sends you away feeling more confident, more appreciated, um, enriched somehow. You've been cultivated somehow by something you learned. They send you out the door better in, in all those ways. It's it's uh, it doesn't that's I think the the that's what the magic of hosting is. You have this ability to link people and connect them and make them feel good. It's not about whether you have this fancy napkin folding ability or you have a huge house or whatever it is. That's that's so down the line. Taking this leap, I think, is a big thing. I I have to admit, you know, I get for hosting, I'd be very anxious bringing people together that I didn't know. Uh, very I do it all well. The time. I have people come here who I've never even met. <laughs> really, and and how, you don't but get I nervous? Don't no, my ego's not attached to. You know, I have friends who can cook circles around me. They're really foodies. You know, they're really really good at that. Um, and, and I regale myself every time I go to their house. I don't. I mean, obviously, I want to make nice food, but I don't. I'm not trapped in that. I'm more interested in what people have to say. So you don't spend, so the focus of hosting for you is not necessarily preparing the best meal. No, it's absolutely not. I mean, I obviously want to make a nice mm-hmm. meal, but I had friends over the other night, I roasted a chicken. I mean, anybody can do that. But that's good to know, because that does take the pressure off. I think a lot of people, when they think about hosting, it's, it's what am I going to make? What are they going to eat? You know, and, and that's, pre- I guess the way we approach something implies the pressure we're going to put on ourselves, which, which brings me to a question that I would like you to address toward you getting towards the end of the show and I wanted to leave this um, for the end of the show is can you give us I don't know I know you've got 10 ways to make a more inviting life you can go through all 10 or just give us your top picks to sort of round out what your book means and and get us you know maybe thinking and moving into this more inviting life well I think that the book is about homemaking and hosting um, two things that have really been chucked out the window by, I'd say, probably the last two generations. And I think, forget about presidents, I think those are two of the biggest leadership roles that exist, and all of us can step into them. So to see them as empowering rather than disempowering is a starting point. And to see small things you can do, okay, so an inviting life, you can, for example, eat with someone else tonight instead of alone. That's one thing. When you walk down the street next time you leave the house or the building you're in, remember that you're part of the environment and improve that environment by the way you walk, by the look on your face. Instead of being something ugly for people to look at, make yourself into something uplifting for people to look at. Mm-hmm. And that just can be your posture. That's a simple thing. Um, go look at your sock drawer when you get home. If it's a disaster, just fix it. It's one sock drawer. It'll take you five minutes and you'll feel better. You know, you can just clean a little thing. You can say something nice to someone, give them a compliment. See that what I mean? These are such tiny things, and they're very brightening in a time when the world needs a lot more That's of that. Right. Make where you are a better place, basically. That's right. Where you Make are. it nice. It reminds me of something one of my teachers said. Uh, she was in the bathroom, and the toilet paper roll had finished. It was in a public bathroom, and she replaced it. And I think it was at, at her workplace. And the, the, her boss said to her, you know, if, if you're the person that replaces that toilet paper roll, you've done something good for this company. And I thought, you know what, that's very simple, right? Uh, take the time. Well, as someone who takes care of details, I don't know, it says a lot about the person. I fact. think it does. Now, where can people find your book? Um, well, I don't want to say on the, on the dreaded Amazon, but uh, <laughs> it's there, it's in bookstores, and it's online. It's The Inviting Life by Laura Calder, and they can find me on social media if they want to. And your, your website is lauracalder.com? 
Yeah, and I'm on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook somehow. <laughs> <laughs> because you don't spend but a lot Instagram's of time on there. It's a necessary evil, though. People are nice. People are nice on Instagram and people are dreadful on Twitter. So I <laughs> avoid that one. But... <laughs> It's, Generally, it's, not you know, when, to me, but I... <laughs> when you're promoting your book and you're promoting your business, unfortunately, these are the times that we're in. But uh, That's right. uh, such, you know, it's so eye-opening. It's so refreshing talking to somebody like you. I really encourage people oh, to take the time. I'm so glad you care because I, sometimes I do feel like my the things I value and care about fall on deaf ears. And no. Uh, I feel that way sometimes, but it's so nice when I... When someone says, yeah, I see what you mean. You know me what, Laura, oh, I think you. I think more people care than you think. It's just taking that step. It can be a scary step. And I well, think I people... Well, if encouraging in any way, I'd love to be. Excellent. And I think that's, you know, we've, we've broken the barrier of you've got to have the pristine house and the pristine setting. You don't need to do that. You need to take that chance and invite people over and let the evening fall where they are. Make life a better place for yourself and other people. That message needs to be spoken more and more. And, I, you know, it's such a, it's such a great book. It's, it's a very inviting book itself. Thank you. Um, and I do encourage everyone to read it. It will make you think twice about a lot of things. So, Laura, I, I appreciate you taking the time. All the success to you and your book and any future projects that you may have. And uh, keep us so in much. mind. Thank you Lovely talking to you. Yes, keep us in yeah. mind if, <laughs> if you have anything else you'd like to talk about because it, it's, it is a refreshing and a new angle for us. Everybody, we will talk to you next week on the Health Hub. have been listening to The Health Hub, hosted by Kathy Biasi, here on Radio Maria Canada.